in the Ask Anything series, and this week is Science versus God. Well, this is a little different than my talk from last time. This is super fun. Um, okay, you asked for it, though. Well, if you have been here a few years, then you've probably heard bits and pieces of my testimony. Um, so for me, I basically coasted in my faith through high school. I kind of just did the church thing. I went to church because I was told to. I didn't do the stuff they told me not to do because I'm a rule follower, and I just did it, right? And so I never asked why. I never really even dug deep. I never understood why or why not I was doing this or living this way, right? And so, and then in college, I got into a conversation with an atheist, and he started asking me all these really hard questions like, well, how do you know Jesus was actually God? And would the Garden of Eden actually have all the animals? Like, were penguins really in the Garden of Eden? If that's in the Middle East, like, that's not possible. And so I knew zero answers to any of the questions he asked. And so from there, honestly, it spurred me on to go and learn more about my faith because I realized how little I knew. And so especially when it comes to this topic. Um, and so it made me ask these questions because I want to know the answers when it, I have the opportunity next time to talk about it, to defend my faith. And so how do you make sense of the Bible and science, or better asked, does the science disprove Christianity? And can you be a believer if you really agree with science? So that's a no and a yes, right? Like, no, science does not disprove Christianity. And yes, you can be a strong believer and agree with science. I mean, why does it, we feel like we have to choose between the two? So I'll be honest, um, I got to choose this talk, right? Not because I'm an expert, but because I wanted to learn more. Um, I was not a science major, but science has always been fascinating. And any time I've ever learned anything about science, it's only pushed me further in my faith, in my belief in God. And so for me, um, I wanted to learn more. I have a ton of resources for you guys, so just buckle up. There's a whole bunch of quotes coming your way. Um, but also so that next time I have the opportunity, I'm able to defend my faith as well, right? Because the more we know of our world, the better we are going to be able to defend our faith. Because so let's face it, as the world gets more hostile and skeptical towards Christianity, we need to be able to understand what it is we believe in. And I think the trouble is, is that when we don't take our time to understand our faith, it can be really easy for different worldviews to come in and choke it out. If we don't have that foundation like we talked about two weeks ago, right? Because there's so many different worldviews. So if you think back to like ancient cultures, back when everybody believed in multiple gods, right? Like everybody attributed everything to something spiritual, like, oh, this God is angry, so he's sending down hail. Oh, this God loves me. He gave me a baby or whatever it is. Um, it all attributed to these gods. And so the issue for believers then was trying to convince people there just was one true God. But then technology and knowledge and the enlightenment came, and so now it's all shifted, and so science has almost become the God. And so now it's the difficulty is proving that there still is a God, there still is spiritual, but knowledge is still good, and those can correlate with one another. They can coincide. So we're going to talk about a few uh, misconceptions or myths that we have on this topic. So the first one is... Science, it's science versus Christianity. Because we hear these two words and we immediately think they're in conflict, right? Like there's no way they can be on the same side. Like they're two boxers in a match. 
And there's this assumption that if you choose to believe in science over here, you're abandoning Christianity and you're choosing atheism. And there's an assumption that if you believe in science, then we no longer need to come up with stories about a creator or a god, right? Richard Dawkins, who I'll mention a few times, he was a well-known atheist and evolutionist, and he wrote a book called God Delusion. And in it, he basically says that intelligent scientific thinking almost always leads to the conclusion that God does not exist. And then a psychologist named Steven Pinker says the findings of science imply that the belief systems of all the world's traditional religions and cultures are factually mistaken. Mistake. Now, just because people say this and claim this does not mean everyone agrees. In fact, a lot of people disagree with this assumption. Did you know that some of the very first modern scientists were Christians? Roger Bacon and William of Ockham, they, were, uh, they laid the foundations for the scientific method. They basically invented it. And they did so with the belief that the world was created by an intelligent God. They believed in a consistent law-giving God who gave consistent laws of the universe, and they wanted to know more. So Christians helped invent science, right? So as believers, we should want to know more about our God and his creation because science can give us a better understanding and an opportunity to understand him better. But it's not just these two. There are so many leading Christians in the world who, leading scientists in the world who have been Christians. So these names you should recognize from science class. Robert Boyle, Boyle's Law. Michael Faraday, Faraday's Constant. Uh, Isaac Newton, Newton's Law. Lord Kelvin, Kelvin Unit of Temperature. So this, somehow all of my science classes failed to mention that they were all devout believers and Christians, and that digging further into science only proved to them that there was an intelligent creator. Albert Einstein was not a believer, but he, on his wall, he had three pictures of his, his heroes in science. And you know who they were? Isaac Newton, Michael Faraday, and James Clerk Maxwell. All believers, all amazing scientists, and all believed in God. And Boyle actually considered becoming a minister, but then decided he would be better able to serve God through science. So, and it's not just a past thing. There's a huge list of prominent scientists today who are also believers, including a whole bunch from MIT, which is known for their progress in science. And a great example is Francis Collins. He's the man who led the Human Genome Project, and he now directs the National Institutes of Health, and he was an atheist at his time during Yale. And then, as he got into his work and he met with people who had a tremendous faith in their suffering, and then they asked him about his faith that made him go and seek out the evidence of God, and he is now a believer. So there's also surveys done that shows the number of atheists versus the number of Christian scientists has not changed much over the centuries, which people believed that it would. Um, there was even one statistic I found, I believe it was just in the States, and it was talking about 40% were atheists, 40% were believers, and 20% were unknown. So it hasn't changed as much as you would think. It's also noted that many atheists choose to be so based on other grounds and not necessarily just because of science. Alistair McGrath, he's a theologian with a doctorate in biophysics, and he noted that most of his atheist colleagues brought their assumptions about God to their science rather than basing them on their science. And then Stephen Jay Gold, he is a late Harvard scientist and evolutionist who himself was an atheist, and this is what he said. He could not conclude with Dawkins that science necessarily clashed with, 
Christian faith. He wrote, either half my colleagues are enormously stupid or else the science of Darwinism is fully compatible with conventional religious beliefs and equally compatible with atheism. Now, the full scope of Darwinism, where some people take it, might not line up biblically, but the point is what he is saying is that he is an atheist saying that science does not have to clash with your beliefs as a Christian. It can be compatible with whatever belief you have. Um, so we can't buy into this idea that science is just for atheists because it's just not true. If anything, science can point you towards a creator and enhance our faith. Um, we just have to do the work to understand it. Russell Calburn, a physics professor at Cambridge, said, Understanding more of science doesn't make God smaller. It allows us to see his creative activity in more detail. Now let's consider the next myth, that science explains everything. So science has opened our eyes to amazing discoveries, right? Like, for instance, it helped us understand that the earth revolves around the sun instead of the sun revolving around the earth, which, by the way, was Galileo who discovered that, who was a Christian. We're able to understand so much. Like, we can cure diseases. We understand how DNA replicates. We know weird facts. Like, did you know that the reticulated python has the most bones of any other animal in the world? It's 1800, in case you're wondering. You should know that. And did you know that um, octopus have three hearts and nine brains? But you probably knew that from Finding Nemo, right? Um, or the fact that we can build telescopes to see through galaxies. Or that we can go into space. Science has allowed us to do a lot. But it can't account for everything, right? It can't, whoa, Jesse got them excited. It can't tell us definitively some of the major questions that we have from the beginning of the universe, right? Or the beginning of human existence or why we exist. Theologian Rebecca McLaughlin said, while scientists have a theory to explain how more complex life forms develop from simpler ones, they really don't know how life got started in the first place. We have a lot of ideas, but still, all signs point to there being an intelligent creator. Because think of it, all, all things must come from something, right? So when I walk around my house, I regularly trip over or find, like, craft stuff that my daughter has made. Like, she loves crafts. She loves making me pictures and all this stuff. So the other day, I went into the hall, and this is what I found on their door. I have a picture of it. Yeah. <clears throat> so the left door is my daughter. She made a booth. You remember that movie, Home? She just decided to make a booth. Um, and then a minion for my son. She decided that she wanted to make little mail, like a mailbox, so that I can write her letters. She's demanded me writing her letters now of love or, or dates. I don't know. what. Um, so she, she loves to create stuff, right? Now, is it, should I just assume that this has always been there? This has just always existed? Or when I see this, is it safe for me to assume that somebody had to create that? Right? Like somebody on the outside had to put that there. That didn't just appear out of thin air. Riley had to get paper and crayons and make a plan and then do it. So there's a difference in like the mechanics of something and the purpose behind it. So the mechanics is in like why, what do you have before you? Like what happened? You see this picture here. The purpose is the intention. Like why did she make that? Well, science can't answer that first question, but it can't answer the why. And all of creation points to this intelligent mind on the outside creating something. Because the world is so intricately designed and complex that everything works exactly like it should. That just can't happen by chance. Our world would not be inhabitable by chance. John 1 says, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. As in, He created all from nothing. Even though we have different conjectures on how, there still needed to be a beginning, right? And here we see how. So even though we can learn so much from observing what's before us, we're still missing those key components. Our, they can't account for how life began or our life's purpose or our inherent morality. Hilary Morgan Ferrer, she's a biologist and apologist. She said, the more I study cellular functions, the more I realize that one has to choose to miss the fact that all of life is a series of micro-machines with goal-directedness that cannot be explained by physics, chemistry, or biology of the system. You have to choose to miss the fact. I love that. Stephen Hawking, he was um, a physicist who passed away, and he died from a motor neuron disease, so basically broke down his body, and he had to use a computer to help him speak. And at one point in his life, he claimed that he felt like we were just computers. Our brain was just a computer, and there's different parts, and when it breaks down, when it shuts off, you're, you die. But we know that humans are so much more than that. Right? Like, my kids are so much more than just atoms and molecules. If my computer broke, I would say, oh, well, I'll just get another one. If my kid broke, I would not say the same thing. And it, something would be horribly wrong if I did say that, and you would agree with me, right? Because there's so much more to humanity than just a scientific component. We have souls and a moral code and a purpose. That's not something you can observe through science. Remember that show, House? Have y'all ever seen that show? Um, I've actually never watched it, but anyways, he's a, he's a doctor. And so at one point, he comes across a patient, and um, she is an artist, and she was trying to figure out how to do a, a life piece, a piece about her life. And so this is what he tells her. He says, I think you just figured out you're mortal, just a bag of cells and waste with an expiration date. You wanted to act out. You wanted people to notice. Maybe you even prayed for a different answer this time. Well, I have a title for your piece. It doesn't mean anything. He's saying her life is just a bag of cells with an expiration date, and it doesn't mean anything. How depressing to see life like that. I mean, what are we even doing here then? God does say we are made from dust, right? And maybe we are a bag of cells and atoms, and we're just wasting on the outside. But you know what? We are also so much more than that because God has uniquely created us in his image. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows every single hair on your head and every cell in your body. And then to top it off, he has put his spirit in you and called you his temple. I mean, he has given us immense value and then called us into relationship with him. So I'd say that's a lot more. I, really, the question should, we should ask, not be asking is, what does science say I am? The question we should be asking is, who does God say I am? A couple years ago, my son Luke, he was probably two or three he was playing in the bathtub, and he had this little wire basket that I let him play with. Mom fail. I don't know why I let him play with it. Well, of course, he was goofing around, and he slipped, and then he cut his chin on the metal basket that I gave him. Um, and it was traumatic, blood everywhere, and Ben had to go take him to the hospital and get stitches, and um, it was just sad. It's probably worse on me than him. I mean, it was rough. But, you know, the whole time, though, I wasn't looking at him and thinking, okay, what, at what 
velocity did he fall? What was the angle of impact, you know, due to gravity? How deep was the cut? Like, no, I didn't care about those facts. I wanted to know about my son. I cared about him. I was terrified for him. I mean, I couldn't even take him to the hospital. My husband had to do that because I was like, I can't watch him get stitches. So the whole time, I didn't care about the scientific facts. I cared about my son as a person because that's what we do, right? Like, we care about the person. Because people are so much more than just a molecular structure. We have meaning. I mean, even evolutionists will admit that human beings have reached the top chain in evolution, right? Because they recognize our distinctiveness among creation. So that brings us to our main misconception that we can have, which is that science disproves a creator. So science is all about observation, right? But we can't go back and observe the beginning of our world. You can't observe an unseen God. We can observe the aftermath. We can look at what's here before us. We can speculate on those things. But science cannot prove or disprove Christianity. And I would almost like to argue that if you spend enough time in science, you can see how it points to a creator and the workings of an intelligent design. Francis Bacon, uh, one of the guys who started the scientific method, He said this, It is true that a little philosophy inclineth man's mind to atheism, but depth in philosophy bringeth man's mind about to religion. And then Werner Heisenberg, he was a physicist known for his work in quantum mechanics, quantum physics. He said, The first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will turn you into an atheist, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. So, I mean, doesn't mean you're going to turn into an atheist if you go to science class, right? But But think about this, if you just take everything in class and everything in media and publicity and all that stuff just at face value, then you can see how people will start to think, well, everything works just fine on its own, right? Like, is there a need for a creator? But if you dig deeper, then you will see there are no way things can work together as well as it does, as systematically and complex without there being an intelligent mind thinking it up. We just have to be careful to do the digging and learn for ourselves. Did you know that when a baby is just five months old in the womb, so not even born yet, the way the eyeball gets sight is one million nerve fibers from the brain have to meet up and connect with one million nerve fibers from the eye. So the two million nerve fibers have to meet and perfectly match up and connect in order for that eyeball to have sight. I mean, that's not chance. That, like, there is design and purpose there. How is that going to happen every single eyeball in the world for that to work? You know, actually, right after I discovered this fact, there is an article I found about Darwin's doubts later in life, and this is what he says. He says, to this day, the eye, the, the eye to this day gives me a cold shudder. To think that the eye had evolved by natural selection, Darwin said, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. We just aren't told these things. I mean, there's even brilliant people will know who maybe don't believe in God see the intelligence behind our world. Did you know that atheists actually made fun of the idea of a Big Bang theory at first? That's how they got the name Big Bang, because they were like, oh, what, you should make a Big Bang or something? And then that's how it got the title, Big Bang. They made fun of it at first. And Stephen Hawking even said, many people do not like the idea that time has a beginning probably because it smacks of divine intervention. And then Rebecca McLaughlin said, the Big Bang is intriguingly congruent with the core Christian beliefs that God created the universe out of nothing. Interesting. 
So when you consider the beginning of the universe, we may not fully know the exact details, right? Did God make a bang? Or did he spend six exactly 24-hour days creating it? Or did he maybe make a mature universe when he created it? I mean, we don't know for sure, right? Like every Christian has a wide range of beliefs on this, but should that be our sticking point? Because in every scenario, you still see a creator behind it. However the earth began, it had to come from something. I thought this was cool. In Darwin's book, The Origin of Species, he, he is talking about the number of hairs in a pigeon's toes, and then he shifts from that, and he starts talking almost like a worshipful, worshipful personification of natural selection. And this is what he, talks, he says. Can we wonder, then, that nature's production should be far truer in character than man's productions, that they should be infinitely better adapted and should plainly bear the stamp of a far higher workmanship? Natural selection is daily and hourly scrutinizing throughout the world, rejecting that which is bad, preserving and adding up all that is good. Natural selection can act only through and for the good of each being. Did you catch that? It's almost like he's trying to replace God with natural selection. All the while, he's saying there's this higher workmanship that works for our good. Richard Dawkins admits, biology is the study of complicated things that gives the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. You could almost argue that you have to work not to see a creator in our world. Lee Strobel, you might recognize his name. He was a journalist who was adamant against Christianity. And so he set out to try and disprove Christianity. So he did all the research and he ended up becoming a believer just because there was too much evidence to prove that Jesus really was Lord. And so he wrote Case for Christ. And then a little while later, he wrote Case for a Creator. And then he said this, the major developments in science in the past five decades have been running in strongly theistic direction. Science done right points towards God. And then Douglas L., he was an MIT graduate and a longtime skeptic about God, and then he later became a Christian, and he wrote a book explaining his acceptance of the evidence of God, and this is what he says. This is kind of a long quote. Modern science has revealed a universe of absolute wonder. Wonder in the sense of awe, astonishment, surprise, and admiration. Wonder in what caused our universe to come into being. Wonder in why our universe is designed just right for life. Wonder in how the incredible complexity of even the simplest life could possibly have arisen. Each year brings new scientific evidence of wonder, facts for which there are essentially no explanations without God, no believable way around the wonder. Contrary to what you may have read and contrary to what you may believe, science and religion are converging on wonder. The universe is a marvel to behold, and both scientists and religious believers are in awe of its magnificent design. Scientists, atheists, and Christians alike all marvel at the design of the universe, and rightly so. And God has put us here, and he's given us intelligence. He's given us these consistent laws of nature for us to observe, and he's given us this evidence so we can learn more about him and his creation. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God has revealed himself throughout creation. His imprint is all over it if you just look for it. Really, all you have to do is just look up. I feel like this, the space, space and sky is just enough of a marvel, right? Psalm 33.6 
says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God breathed out stars. And then 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaim, above proclaims his handiwork. So I want you all to think about how small we are. So if this, I was supposed to bring a golf ball and I forgot, but this is basically the same size. So pretend this right here is the size of earth, right? So here you are right here, you see we're huge, right? So this is the earth. Now, if this is the size of the earth, then the sun would be 15 foot in diameter. That's like around the stage, right? Ish, kind of. This is us, this is the sun. You can fit 960,000 earths inside the sun. But that's not it, because that's not the biggest star. One of the biggest stars that they have discovered is called the Canis Majoris. So if the Earth was the size of this ping pong ball, and I put it right here, the star would be the size of Mount Everest. Mount Everest. That is huge. So that would be enough golf balls to cover the entire state of Texas 22 inches deep. Like, can you all fathom, like, how big that is? I couldn't. So there's a video. Let's watch the video, and it will show you. Could you see it? Could you see yourself there? I mean, can, is that not like, that's just mind-blowing, right? And it's too much for us to even comprehend. And, you know, scientists speculate there's like billions of stars, and they don't even, they can't even count the exact number. Do you know what? Isaiah 40, 26 says this, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And yet somewhere we're over here trying to tell God what we want with our life, how to direct our life. Like, Lord, this is how my life should go. You should have been doing this for me. Somehow we think we have that authority. But we're literally, as the Bible says, a speck of dust. 
you know, sin has a way of, of shrinking God down in our minds and somehow puffing up ourselves. But if we take some time to get to know our creator and his creation, then we will start to feel just how small we are, just how big our God is. And maybe recognize his greatness and just how merciful he is to even care about us. Did you know that the, the Whirlpool galaxy is about 30 million light years away from us? So that's like one light year is about 6 trillion miles. So 30 million light years is a really, really big number, right? It's really far. So inside of that, though, there's something called the X structure that they've, they've seen and they've studied. And um, it marks the spot where there's this black hole. And it's, the black hole is so big that it equals to 1 million of our suns. Or it is 1,100 light years across. So, but what is the most amazing is the X inside of it. Let's look at the picture. What does that look like to you guys? The cross of Jesus. God has literally, like, set his signature stamp up in the sky for you guys. And then, have you ever heard about laminin in your biology class? Do you remember that word? Probably not. There's a lot of words. Right? So it's the cell adhesion molecule. So it's basically like the glue that holds your body together, right? So like whenever you have a brick, you're building a building, you have a brick, and then you put cement between the bricks to stick them together, right? So this is the glue that holds all your cells together in your body. And when you look at it under the microscope, this is also what you see. I felt like you should think that's a lot cooler. You're not making any noise. Isn't that cool? Thank you. I want some pity laughs. But seriously, guys, it reminds me of the Romans verse that he's revealed himself in all of creation. We really have no excuse to not see his handiwork everywhere. My faith is only ever strengthened when I see stuff like this. You know, Colossians 1 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He literally holds all things together from a cellular level to the stars up in the sky. And then more than that, he has shown to be our support throughout our life and on beyond eternity. So the last thing I want to show you is um, there's this man named Louis Giglio. He's a pastor in Atlanta, and he's kind of known for his love and knowledge and science. And so um, this video, it's kind, it's kind of long, but basically what he does is scientists were able to capture the radio frequency of these stars, right? So the noises that they made. And so Louis Giglio takes all these different noises that these stars have made and, like, the whale noises, nature, things you hear in nature, and he compiles it together. And so I want to show you this video that he does with it. That's just two pulsars. So that's a noise from the stars. So we're going to put the, uh, the millisecond guys in there. The ones you just heard, here they come. Undoctored and unedited. Here they come. 
I'm going. But I was asking what you're asking because some people, some people need it really clear. Like, what are they singing? And we tried this, and you just got to know this is unedited. We just dropped this on. And this is what happened. This is what they might be singing. just me guys or are you with me on this like creation is literally singing its praises out to God like how can we be blind to that he has revealed himself so much that literally the stars and the whales are singing out a song to the Lord um, Hillary Morgan Ferrer said don't be afraid of science what we need is more science and better science the more details the better so we should trust in science and the things that are observable because God has given us this ability to see all of his creation and ability to look through telescopes trillions of miles away but what we have to do is keep our eyes and ears open and some things that are just conjecture sometimes are shown as truths and so what we need to do is to be able to understand it correctly we need to be able to know and look up and look for it ourselves Theologian Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called No Final Conflict. And so in it, he acknowledges that our knowledge is not perfect of science nor of scripture, but he's saying that if understood correctly, in the end, there will be no final conflict with one another. So if we fully understand science and God's word, then they should line up with one another. So really, it comes down to trusting God and having faith. So that that brings our last misconception we have, that we think it's science has the facts and religion has the faith. Because some people say, you know, some will say that belief in God is like a blind leap of faith and you ignore science, you ignore knowledge, you ignore progress, but that's just not true. A lot of people like to say a lot of things about having faith in God. Because as Christians, we should investigate. We should want to know as much as we possibly can so we know the God that we are having our faith in. But you know, science is also a leap of faith, just as believing in God is. Because as we've seen, science can explain many, many things, but not everything. You never get to the bottom of existence. We can see light years away, but we still can't answer the questions that we most long to understand. So either side requires stepping out in faith. Choosing to believe in science or choosing to believe in atheism is making a decision to trust in something even though you don't have every single answer to it. And the same goes for Christianity. God doesn't give us all the answers. And maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe we don't need all the answers because I would say that we struggle plenty to trust in a God when we already have quite a few answers. 
And, you know, Christians span a wide range on their beliefs of young, old, young earth, old earth, you know, uh, theistic evolution, pure creationism, whatever it is. God doesn't give us 100% clarity, but what we can work with is all the other ways that he has revealed himself to us. When you think about this moral code that we have of, of good versus bad, and that should point to something that has come from, from something external, because what is defining good and bad? And not only that, we should look to the person of Jesus Christ. Because he came to earth, he claimed to be Lord. He predicted his death and resurrection, and he went and did it. He fulfilled the prophecies. I'd say that's tangible evidence for us to observe right there. That Lee Strobel, when he set out to prove that Jesus wasn't Lord, ended up believing because he couldn't. The evidence was too obvious, it was too blaring in front of his face. I've always loved this quote that C.S. Lewis says, and he's talking about Jesus, and he says, There's, That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a good, great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man that says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Either Jesus really was who he said he was, or he's a liar. And if he was a liar and he wasn't Lord, then, oh man. Like in 1 Corinthians, Paul says if that didn't really happen, if he didn't resurrect, then we are to be pitied. We're blinded. Or if he did really resurrect, which he did, if he really proved he was Lord, which he did, then we have all we have need before us. We have something firm to place our faith in. So if you're skeptical about Christianity, your first task isn't to figure out all the science and how it lines up or doesn't line up. Your task is to look into the core beliefs of Christianity and the person of Jesus Christ. And was he really Lord and did he really resurrect? Because if you can believe that, we believe in Jesus, and that clears us up for everything else. Because in that case, then we can believe his word is true, right? And if his word is true, and God has said he has set the world in motion, he has created human beings, he has created the animals, then that is what he did. So could we sit and argue the different ways that he did it? Sure. But my faith is not founded on how the world was created or how we may have evolved. My faith is founded on the person of Jesus Christ in whom I can absolutely prove and I have no doubt that he is Lord. Have you ever noticed in, in the Genesis account, in the book of Genesis, the focus is not on all the scientific facts out there about how God put the world together. The focus on the account is who we are, why he made us, how we relate to God, and how we relate to each other. Maybe we should consider why his focus would be on that. Maybe that's what we need more. Maybe we need God the Father more versus God the Professor. So I'm going to leave you with this last thought. In James 3, 17, it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So although this can be a controversial topic, and people have many different opinions on what they think is right, we should come at this, like everything else, with humility. Because life is not about you or being right. 
It's about glorifying God and knowing God better. So feel free to seek further into science. Dig deep. Ask the questions. Do the research. Defend your faith. But come at it with humility as an opportunity to grow in wisdom and be peaceable with everyone so that God's glory is known. I'm going to pray. Lord, we just praise you, God, that you have made yourself known throughout creation. And even though we tend to be blind to it, God, we, we think ourselves so big, even though in reality we're, we're so, so small. Lord, I pray that we can just recognize your greatness and recognize how you have shown yourself throughout creation, Lord, that you have proved yourself through, through Christ, God. And I pray that we can um, place that faith and trust in you um, even when we have questions and doubts or even when we're just uncertain. Ask all this in Jesus' name.